I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half As As Well, Well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay. Penultimate episode of Rings of Power. Don't know if it felt like it. Definitely did not feel like it to me. (laughs) I, uh... I, overall, I'm disappointed. And honestly, this episode itself isn't that bad. If it existed anywhere else in the season, I, I think, you know, I would feel kind of okay. Yeah, I think I liked this episode and the last one. I feel like they're getting more consistently good for my taste. <laughs> I just like wish that this was kind of earlier in the season and then we could kind of just go into, I guess, whatever's going to happen in season two. But we'll just have to wait for that, I guess. Yeah. Um, So let's just get to it before I get too bogged down in talking about my dislikes. Let's start by checking in with our rubric. Right. So uh, those three themes of the Second Age from letter 131, which, again, I highly recommend anyone read if they want to understand Tolkien's work. It doesn't get much better than hearing from the professor himself about his motives and reasonings for pretty much all the cycles of his mythology. And those three themes are the lingering of the elves, the rise and fall of Numenor, and uh, Sauron's rise to a new god king of men and dark lord. And so we'll start with that last one. Um, Just kind of continuing off the last episode, there's the rise of Mordor. We got a um, a nice little title card change. (laughs) I didn't like that, Um, but I liked everything else. (laughs) In case you couldn't tell from the Mount Doom exploding and the orcs and Adar talking about creating a home for the orcs, um, this is Mordor. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I don't think there's a whole lot else in that one really um, that we got other than just Mordor exists now as a land of shadow and ash. Yeah, and it's I think it's clearer more now than ever that like, yeah, Sauron's coming back or, or some dark power is coming back. Yeah, very clearly. For the other themes, there is the lingering of the elves in Middle-earth. We get probably one of my favorite conversations in the series so far between Durin III and his son. I think there's a lot of great stuff in there, and we'll talk a little bit more in that in likes and maybe even dislikes as well. But um, there's a great part where he's talking about the elves and how their time has come and that like long ago their fate was already decreed and that they need to leave Middle-earth. Or and we see that they're not doing that. Yeah, I I think my only like note on this is I think in the show, if you weren't aware of like that reality, that kind of um, celestial reality that the elves have been asked back to Valinor, it's not this like oh great, I finally get to go to heaven kind of thing because Gilgalad told me to. Right. It's actually like a decree by the Valar that they should return. Like post haste and then it's of. only their own folly that they're staying behind exactly um I, I think if you don't know that background this conversation with the the dwarven leaders um can feel like a little more cold-hearted where he's like yeah this is their time to die but like in reality it's like no this is their time to ascend to the land of the gods no, i mean this is the whole point is that the elves have been denying their nature is right. that they need to go to valinor exactly um the mortal lands are not for immortals yeah so yeah i really like that they brought attention to that and uh we get a little bit more also of this with the mithril apparently still healing the uh corruption of the tree leaf and and we'll talk more about the uh dislikes with that but right now um we are seeing this kind of common theme with 
you know, the death of these trees. It starts right. off with the death of the two trees. We get uh, the Numenorian tree, the petals falling. There's the story about the Mithril tree that, you know, the elven warrior was trying to heal. We even get the stranger healing, you know, a tree afflicted by Mount Doom. Right. And so now we have the Mithril, which is healing the corruption that we've seen. And so this healing of this death and decay uh, is a common theme that we're just seeing a lot. Yeah. And that the elves are fighting against. And it reminds me a lot of one of my favorite pieces on the Second Age, which can be found in Unfinished Tales. Uh, it's a section called the Elisar where Celebrimbor forges a stone made from the light of the sun, which came from the golden tree. And it has the purpose of what Galadriel wants. She says she wants trees and grass and flowers around her that do not die. She's really grieved by the mortality or the reminder of mortality all around her. So I feel like that's definitely what they're playing off of with the Mithril helping to heal this. But I mean, I, you know, we're not really big fans of the whole... Silmaril in a tree struck by lightning. I just, the whole miss me with the Mithril stuff, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, I I think, you know, at at the very least, it is playing a role in this um, story about the elves resisting their thing. I I, I think I just wish it was more clear, like the celestial demand um, for them to return to Valinor. Right. But yeah, so we're getting a little bit of that. And then also their desire to heal this decay of the right. land. Um, yeah. And that, that's that been, I think, made very clear. Again, I'm not too much of a fan of how they're going about it with the Mithril, but this is a motive that we see in the lore. And um, and the last one, you know, the rise and fall of Numenor is the other big theme of the Second Age. And we just see a little bit about this. Uh, we heard for the first time that there's actually a Numenorian settlement at Pilargir. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, you know, the country that has had closed borders for, like, centuries yeah, apparently has a colony. Yeah, due to the time compression, I was under the impression that this was maybe the first time the Numenorians had ventured to Middle-earth, but apparently that's not the case. And they have in the past at least made, like, just brief settlements on the, the coasts. I so. just, in that case, what what I don't understand about that is how they weren't already involved in the conflict with right. the, the growing evil um, or at least vaguely aware of it. So I, I really did not like that. But um, I think the biggest thing I know about the Numenorians in this episode, um, and we saw it a little bit in the last episode, is that overall they seem fairly unprepared for, like, the realities of, of war. Like, they... Yeah. Um, I think they thought they were going to clean up really nicely and there would be no... And, I mean, they did in the actual battle, but they aren't they weren't cognitively prepared for like what the destruction of middle earth was actually going to look like. Right. And I wanted to point out, you know, we were talking about this rubric for like these three themes that Tolkien lays out. And within that letter, um, he also lays out three themes specifically for the Numenorean. Okay. He says there are three stages to their fall. And I think we're kind of in the first stage transforming into the second. And I just kind of want to read this a little bit. In the first stage, being men of peace, their courage is devoted to sea voyages. In those days, they would come amongst wild men as almost divine benefactors, bringing gifts of art and knowledge and passing away again, leaving many legends behind of kings and gods out of the sunset. And so we see them now, they're kind of going to leave. And Muriel does make a vow, though, that they will return, you know, and and we know that when the Numenorians do come back, they start to take more control over the coastlands of Middle-earth. And that leads into, he says, the second stage, 
which are the days of pride and glory, and the grudging of the band, they begin to seek wealth rather than bliss. And so I think that's kind of where it's going to go. I found it very interesting, Elendil's changing attitude towards elves. Um, I think that's kind of representative of where a lot of the Numenorians are going to go. Also, when Muriel makes this kind of vow, she swears by her father, but she uses his, not his elvish name, of Tar Palantir. I, I forget exactly how to pronounce it, but she says like his more um, like mannish or Numenorian name, mm-hmm. which she swears by. So I thought that was really cool, too. And I guess we'll have to find out more what Farazan's been up to on Numenor, but I'm sure that kind of ties more into getting into that second stage of the days of pride and glory. Yeah, I really wish we were seeing what was going on in New... Like, uh, I hated yeah. a lot of the Numenor scenes in the earlier part of the season, but I, at this point, I'm sort of like, well, while the queen's away, what is Farazan doing yeah. in Numenor? And, you know... I'm sure we'll get more into that in later seasons. But right now, we're just kind of seeing some of their first contact with the people of Middle-earth and that more positive association that they have with the Numenorians. Okay, let's uh, get into our likes. What did you like about this episode? I think the first thing that really struck out to me was Durin Third. We hadn't seen a whole lot of him so far. There was just like kind of a few scenes here and there and... Now we got a lot more dialogue with him and got a little bit more into his head and how he feels about things. In general, this is much more how I want all the dwarves to be portrayed. He's a very serious character. He's not really like this loudmouth, boisterous uh, kind of guy. Yeah. And, you know, nothing's played for jokes here at all. He's just a very serious king. And this is how I would like all dwarves to be portrayed. And I also loved his conversation about um, Aule making them out of fire and rock. Yeah. And I think that really ties into a cool Tolkienian idea of that, like all beings are made out of uh, like flesh, which is also called uh, Hroar, and uh, their spirit, which is Fear, and how the spirit burns from within and burns, you know, through the flesh as time goes on, and then yeah. the flesh eventually will die. And so, talking about the you know the fire being the truth that consumes whereas the rock is unyielding. Uh, I thought that was a really cool way to get into Tolkien's idea of the relationship between the body and the spirit, um, especially from a dwarvish perspective. Yeah, I think um, in general, I'm glad that things are still happening. Things of import are still happening in this episode. I mean, that seems like a very low bar to clear for a penultimate episode, but hey, I really enjoyed the first scene where Galadriel wakes up in the aftermath of the explosion at Mount Doom. And I I just think that section was really well thought out and and, um, planned. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was like some of the best cinematography in the show. And in general, I really liked most everything we saw with Galadriel and Theo. I thought that was a cool pairing up of characters. Mm -hmm. And I like that we're finally getting a little bit of development for Galadriel's character. <laughs> yeah. One geez. thing I was a little frustrated by was, I forget which episode it was, but she has this conversation with Halbrand about how she's starting to recognize this darkness within her. Yeah. But then the very next episode, she's like talking to Adar about completely exterminating the orcs while he right. watches and torturing them. And, and and then he's just like, wow, like you're really dark. And then she's like, oh my God. And it's just like, yeah, you already reached that conclusion. So yeah, I'm I, glad that we're kind of just moving along with that yeah. instead of just like, I feel like this show can be redundant sometimes. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, we already nailed that point. Let's get it on. And 
so yeah, I really liked uh, the callback to the first episode where Elrond's telling her, put up your sword. And she's like, without it, what am I to be? And now here she is passing it along to this younger mortal boy. And she's like, I'm going to try to have to figure out what I am now. Yeah, and I, I think she's realized that, you know, she personally has led a bunch of innocent people basically right into Doom. You know, the Numenorians. Yeah. Like, there was no way for anyone to predict what was going to happen with Mount Doom, but I she definitely feels responsible for all of that. Yeah, and in general, I haven't had a problem with starting Galadriel off as, you know, fairly wrong about some things and unlikable. Like, I think that definitely sets up a cool arc for her to reflect in the future seasons and grow from that. I just think it was a little heavy handed at some points. Well, uh, I think there were a lot of cases where she wasn't wrong and she was being told that she's wrong by no, and, elves. And yeah. it's sort of like, she's not wrong. She's no. just like frustrated. No. And I, yeah, I love that. But I mean, I'm just talking more about where, I don't know, she's threatening to kill a Lindiel. I'm like, Oh yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, you you're taking it a little extreme to kind of allow for more room for growth, I guess. But I don't think it needed to go that far. But yeah, so I really liked everything we saw here. I think we saw a lot of wisdom from her passing it on to Theo. One of the kind of more significant impacts uh, on the Numenorians is that Muriel is is blinded uh, by the explosion at Mount Doom and the exposure to smoke and fire. Um, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know what changed about when they put the blindfold on her, but that actress suddenly started <laughs> like really acting. Um, not that I've thought she's bad before, but it was I, for me, there was a marked difference. I, I think yeah. it definitely was a more striking character. And yeah. uh, the imagery reminds me a lot of uh, like Lady Justice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think is cool. And uh I think that could also just be interesting now that we know she's going back to Numenor and Farazhan will be uh, corrupting Numenor more now and gaining power and the fact that she might be like blind to this in right. a way I think, you know, could be pretty um And just a little more, play with. slightly more vulnerable in her. Yeah, you know. yeah, totally. I think this could make it, you know, maybe a little easier for Farazhan to swoop in there. So we also have gotten back in touch with the other storyline that keeps kind of popping in and out with the Harfoots and the Stranger. And that's really starting to get going with the, you know, the people hunting him down, these mystics. I love everything about the mystics. They are my favorite. <laughs> I I think between like them and Adar, um, I am just so ready for more like dark magic-y people. Yeah, totally. I feel like I'm being very quiet in this section. And it's not because I didn't like things in this episode, but I feel like my likes are so intertwined with my dislikes that it feels weird to separate them. Yeah, and at this point in the season, we're kind of seeing more structural issues of the whole season. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's all kind of mingling all those together. I actually really liked this episode more than others. Um, but again, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to say. It was just like, yeah, it was just not It, it wasn't terrible. terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it was fine. And it's more kind of like what I would like, maybe not the penultimate episode to be like, but this is what I would have liked like an average episode of this show to be like throughout. But right now it's fine, you know. Okay, fine for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's move on to dislikes and... Maybe some of them could be resolved as the season goes on or as a, as the show goes on. But I, I do think that 
structurally overall I'm very disappointed with this first season um I I think that they could have been doing a lot more and given that there's been a lot of like pressers with the showrunners where they're like kind of uh glossing this first season as like hey like it's just to introduce the characters and all of the stuff is going to happen later. And like, you know, eventually everything will fall into place. I think that's like a terrible attitude to approach any creative work with. Um, I mean, I think that's actually a big reason why a lot of authors like write prequels after they write their yeah. first book is, is because well, I'm just like, you can introduce the characters and the heroes and their motivations while the main plot is ha- currently happening. Yeah, something we were just talking about a little earlier is that uh, it's not as if we're starting... So we often compare this show to Game of Thrones because, I mean, probably mostly because Jeff Bezos was like, this is going to be the new Game of Thrones. Not in a, like, artistic, literal way, um, but in the sense that he wants people to watch it the way they watched Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's just like a a weekly fantasy uh, show that has a lot of storylines I think it's easy to look at the first season of Game of Thrones and say, well, that plot had nothing to do with, like, the main plot of the series. And it's like, sure, but it had, like, a really intensive plot, you know? And it it really Mm. was just, like, leading up to where we needed to be. My frustration with The Rings of Power is that the main plot of what this show is going to be about feels like it's been there the whole time. And instead, we've been, like, learning things about Isildur's horse. and like little petty disagreements between random strangers who are just played by extras and and will never matter in the the big scope of things while it's very clear there's this like cosmic level serious thing building um and they've just taken so much time to actually get to it yeah i agree this whole first season kind of in retrospect for me it's got little nuggets here and there that i really love and appreciate Again, I think uh, the conversation with Durin the Third is one of my favorites. Uh, last episode, the conversation about orcs with Adar and Galadriel. I-, I really appreciate stuff like that. But in general, I think my feelings for the whole first season is underwhelming. And I'm still committed to watching like you know, the future seasons because I know what happens and I want to see that. But I'm just like, okay, this was a big prologue to the actual Rings of Power show. And I don't know how necessary a lot of it was. And I mean, I guess we'll see that... <sighs> when we see all five seasons, but, um, I just, I I think that's like such an entitled position for a a production Mm -hmm. to be in is like, Oh yeah, people will have to watch all of it. Like that, that's not the relationship I want to have with my media. I want my media to be like, I have to watch it because I like need to know what happens next Mm -hmm. instead of like, I need to, see the things happen that haven't happened, you know, like it's a different, it's a different mm-hmm. inspiration. Um, so getting into some more specifics about uh, some of our dislikes. Number one, right off the bat, Balrogs don't have wings. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, well, they don't. They have wing like shadows. But more seriously, one of my big issues uh, with this whole episode, which otherwise I felt was pretty fine, was the reveal that the whole Mithril story... Um, <laughs> Apparently true, Mithril can uh, slow or reverse the decay that we've been seeing. I was really hoping this was just going to be made up lies or just folklore, Um, but it seems to actually have a basis in reality. Um, It's like, I 
simply do not understand why any of the mythos around Mithril was necessary. Yeah. I think it's an, enough of a draw that there's this beautiful rare metal that's like very strong and powerful. Um, and we don't need to know anything more about it. Yeah. And I do want to point out that just because the Mithra does seem to have these healing properties doesn't necessarily make everything in that story true. Sure. Um, there should be an explanation, I guess. Um, but I, you know, I'm really still hoping the Silmaril in the tree struck by lightning is just that's still bullshit. But there is something special about Mithril. I, I can forgive it if that's the case. But right now, um, if if that's really what happened, that's a big uh, departure. That's something I really majorly dislike about the show. That's going to be really hard for me to get over. It's also something that to me. Uh, Tolkien is is a very much a soft magic, soft power world, and that is such a relatively scientific uh, explanation for why yeah, it's like there's a magical metal one, in this world. One part the good of an elf, one part uh, the evil of a Balrog, a Silmaril up a tree, you strike it by lightning, and you yeah, get Mithril. Get Mithril. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, again, I think it, they could have just done something where Mithril is this uncorrupted element, and it and it encourages uncorruption. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or something and like healing. that. I mean, again, like, it doesn't need yeah. to be that complex. No. So. It, yeah. Um, I, I think the more you put uh, weird things like that into something, the actually the harder it is for me to suspend my disbelief. Yeah. Um, because it's like, well, where the fuck did that similar all come from? Like, what do you mean? There's three of them, and they're generally kind of accounted for. Yeah, not even generally, just they are just accounted like for. like they're accounted for. Um, uh, so that's weird, and maybe they'll explain it later, but I, I explain it faster, and maybe I'd hate it less. So yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I don't like, um, I don't like it. Yeah, we'll see. And then another thing that keeps coming up is sort of the scale of this world. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't... I don't know where these Southlanders keep coming from, but I thought there was like 20 of them at the beginning. And then I thought like at least that many died in the battle. And then it, I, it seems like at least that many died in the explosion of Mount Doom. And yet they still have enough to they have like go settle. Hundred. And I'm just like, where are there other villages that, that they're we're rallying up? to? Because like, yeah. we saw like a shot of the village. It's like there's like a barn and an inn and a couple houses. Yeah. I felt a similar way about the it, orcs. It but seems like there just has to be enough villagers for whatever they want to do for the story. Um, but it, it it's not translating to what we're seeing. Yeah. Like, at least with the orcs, you know, you can say, oh, they've been underground. Oh, like, you know. Yeah, there could be countless there's, of them. Yeah. But uh, with the humans, it's been really strange. And um, I've seen also online, I haven't watched these videos, but I've seen people accusing them of, like, really basic crowd doubling um, to fill mm -hmm. in some of these scenes. And like, I, I assume that there are people who are trying to debunk sort of the, the shots on this. So, um, I, again, I haven't confirmed that or looked at that, but yeah, I think, I, I think I did see something about that, but that was more related to when they were filming during COVID and they had right. not a they had whole like lot of 20 people yeah. or something. Um, I, some I just, limitations. I just think that, yeah, there's this uh, problem with scale and the where you can really feel it is like space time. <laughs> yeah, um, the way people just kind of pop back and forth between places that, 
which I normally wouldn't mind. Like, I don't mind it as much when they do it in Game of Thrones, but it's just because in Tolkien's world, he meticulously laid out how long it would take to journey from one place to another, where everyone is at on any particular day. And so the way they're just kind of going back and forth... The, the, the part that really gets me is with Halbrand's injury. Oh my god. Boromir's journey from Minas Tirith to Rivendell is a journey of 111 days. And Rivendell's pretty near Aragion, and Minas Tirith is pretty near where the Southlands are right now. Yeah. 111 days. And he loses his horse about two-thirds of the way through the journey, so he has to do the rest on foot. But still, that's almost like four months and I'm sure they're just going to pop Halbrand up to Aragion like it took a day's ride. Yeah. And I'm like... It's just sort of like, okay, if you're ex- if you're wanting to do this, spread it out logically through a, yeah. a season a little bit more, lo- you know? I mean, Not it's like... There can't be... The length of um, the journey they're taking is like similar to like the Fellowship leaving Rivendell and going to Mordor. And that takes place over the course of like a year. Yeah. So it's just not very believable to me. They're like, we need this guy to get Elvish medicine. We're going to ride to Aragion. And... Okay, how long is that going to take? Yeah. It just, it it takes as long as, or as short as it needs to, which I mean, in this case is going to uh, probably be pretty short. <laughs> I mean, I was just even shocked, you know, seeing Halbrand laying in bed, like, in a bloody shirt, which, come on, I know there's an extra shirt somewhere. Like, <laughs> like we, there are other people who have done laundry at some point, you know, um, but he's all bloodied up and he looks like shit and then... She's like, okay, get on a horse. We're going to Aragion. And it's like, what? Like, you're not even going to, like, get a wagon for him? Or, like, I don't know. Like, that's Uh. weird to me. And then he, like, gets up and starts walking around and gets on a fucking horse. And I'm like, oh, so, like, his festering wound, like, is it not very deep, but still serious? Like, yeah, I don't know if they gave him some of the uh, seeds that they gave Bronwyn, which let her, you know, get <laughs> yeah, up on her feet too. She's like, like fucking running the show these days. Those you know? seeds must have totally had some fine. like good shit in them. I know. Um, but yeah, and I don't know. Another uh, issue I'm kind of noticing that I'm really having, and some people enjoy this. It's just definitely not my cup of tea. Is the references to the Peter Jackson movies. Hack shit. I, I, I don't mind them referencing Lord of the Rings. In fact, you know, Tolkien does a lot of intentional parallels within his own work. But my thing is they're referencing things that are unique to the movies and not the books. Sadok almost exactly says something that Boromir says after Gandalf dies. Like, give them a moment for pity's sake. It's like an exact recreation of that scene that was, you know, solely in the movies. And... Galadriel being like, he needs elvish medicine. You know, they're, I guess they're like, oh, well, Arwen's her granddaughter. So uh, basically same character. Let's do the same thing. A sealed or having a fake out death, which, you know, I wonder if he's survived. It's like Aragorn going off the cliffs in uh, Two Towers and then his horse going to find him. Yeah. And I, I, I'm also so sick of a sealed or's horse taking up so much goddamn screen time. I know more about a sealed or's horse than like... The plot. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm getting just a little, like, tired of these. Like, my eyes just kind of roll to the back of my head every time we get something like that. And I'm really confused, too, because I feel like the Peter Jackson fanboys that, like, worship those movies actively hate this show. So it feels very pandering, and I'm like, who are you pandering to? People that aren't going to watch this show anyway? 
so I don't know. That's a, that's an issue for me that, yeah. again, I see a lot of people see this and they're like, oh, this is like that thing. And yeah, I'm like, but it's ah. sort of like it's a, a, a cheap, low hanging fruit kind of reference and it's not very I'm, deep in it. it and I wouldn't mind it if they were referencing things from the movie that were also in taken books. directly from the books, yeah. but they're not really doing that. No, it's, it's like, like specific, these weird specifically moments. moments that were only uh, that were changed from the books to the movies. And yeah, um, exactly. I don't know why they're doing that. That's just uh, weird a little choice. Annoying for me. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Celeborn. Yeah, did you want to just get right into uh, our theory section, or do you want to just complain about the presentation of it? I think we can just keep complaining. Okay. Um, so, I am... I mean, it has not been... So, people have been wondering where the hell Celeborn is while Galadriel is out gallivanting with Halbrand and, yeah. uh, you know, tracking down Sauron. Um, I personally was really hoping that he was back home with their daughter, and that was like this kind of thing that would be revealed where it's like, oh my God, she's abandoned her family for this quest. And like, that's what makes it such a dark choice for her to, to be on this path. Like mm-hmm. for me, that would explain why everyone's been so disapproving of her and why she has this like very obvious guilt um, for like continuing on this path, despite still doing it. That would really like just be a cherry on top for me. Um, instead we find out that he's like possibly dead. I mean, we know he's not, but, um, that he's missing in action. Um, and if that's the case, I'm left to wonder why the hell we didn't hear about this earlier, especially when she's talking to people like Elrond and Gilgalad. Like, yeah, I would at least think her friend Elrond would bring up Celeborn. husband? <laughs> yeah, um, especially when they're talking about, you know, bearing away her grief to the Undying Lands. Um, you're not going to mention the fact that she's like a widow, supposedly. Uh, yeah, again, another example of an issue I have with this show where they reveal important contextual information, like, episodes in. Well, so, as- like, w- way after the, like, it naturally would have just came up. And it's usually stuff like this, where it's like, this shouldn't be a mystery or a big reveal. This should literally just be this like... This is what you lead with. Yeah, this is like <laughs> her given circumstances that make us understand the strength of her feeling more. Yeah, it's just another really weird narrative choice to just like put this off until later. Overall, with this show, I'm extremely interested. I don't know if we'll ever get more information about this, but I'm extremely interested um, to know more about the reshoots and the recastings that happened during the production of this first season, because I think we're experiencing the effects of it pretty strongly. Yeah, well, I mean, I know Kelly Brimber was recast, and they had to, like, reshoot the stuff with Charles Edwards. And so I, yeah, I, I think that might have had a definite impact on the production of the show and some of the plot lines. And I would, I would just be interested to see how all that went down. What I feel when I watch this show is I feel a ghost of a stronger season uh, throughout it. And then I, I what I'm seeing is um, a lot of backpedaling and a lot of pandering and, and fluff that's been stuffed into yeah. the seams of something that had to be edited. Right. Let's get on to theories, I guess. Um, the stranger is Sauron, everyone. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. But like, I... When I'm right, I honestly, at this point, do not understand people 
rallying around Halbrand. And I'm like, yeah, because like what indication has the show given us with Halbrand other than like he likes to forge. He has a bad past. And it's like, so do half of the other characters. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's like he ha- he's running from his past. Okay, yeah, like. <laughs> Gladriel, um, even like a seal door is like, yeah. I, I don't want to go to Numero. I want to go, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I eh, I just find Halbrand to be the most underwhelming choice. Like, I, again, I think it fits kind of in the lore, like given the quality of like how much they stay true to the lore versus, you know, sometimes they definitely uh, change it a little bit. Uh, it seems like Halbrand could definitely fit into, uh, you know, something, some yeah. paint within some lines of, you know, the Sauron lore. But I just find it a very uninspiring choice. And especially when the stranger's right there, who I think is a much better choice. And one thing especially that I noticed with him this episode that I found interesting was the similarity between him and the elf of the Mithril legend putting his hand to the tree to heal it from this fire damage. In the stranger's case, it's the fires of Mount Doom. In the myth, it's the Balrog. But... I feel like that can't be a coincidence. He's pouring, you know, his magic just like the elf warrior did into the tree. So I don't know, like, regardless of if he's the stranger or not, I think there's something there. And I think people should, you know, keep that in mind going into the finale. I think that's cool. I think I think you're right. I think they are connected somehow. I think the only way I'll accept that is if uh, Sauron was the one who created Mithril, but he is both the elf and the balrog in that story that mm. like he he was just placing a silmaril inside a tree well to heal it and it i just find it you know i i feel like the balrog has to be durin's bane because it's a it's a balrog out in the misty mountains where we only know one balrog ever was and then he ends up underneath it right and so in like encased in mithril I, yeah i think yeah, that the I balrog think of the legend has to be durin's bane and i love the idea of after the fall of morgoth sauron and durin's bane battling it out for who's going to be the successor to morgoth and rule yeah, middle earth sure um so i think that would be really neat and then especially if that elf warrior uh <laughs> turns out to be sauron who is then reborn as the stranger after adar kills him yeah i i think there's something there I'm just frustrated that there has to be something there to make it feel good what we currently have. Um, Overall, I like when shows make me theorize or wonder or question things. But what I've realized is the, the times that I like that, it's like an episode to episode kind of thing where... Where, like, in episode one, I'm like, huh, I wonder if that person is actually uh, holds this significance in the world. And then by episode three, it's, like, confirmed. Like, for sure or denied for sure. Right. Um, and then... Maybe you're just impatient. I don't I don't think that's it. I, I think it's that I don't want to feel like I'm being led on and being left alone yeah. in the dark to create a way cooler set of circumstances than what actually exists in the show. Well, my issue with like the theories and stuff is that, and I I love the theorizing, but that's kind of the problem is that's what's mainly sustaining my interest in this show right now. Like, again, I said, there's like a few nuggets here of Tolkien lore that I really appreciate, but it's not really enough to keep me going episode to episode. And uh, just from like a, a show quality standpoint, I don't think it would normally be enough to like keep me watching this show. But the theories so far, like, I'm like, uh, and, and visually, the cinematography, I think, is really great. Um, and then the theories, I'm just like, this is what is 
keeping me watching right now. I, I, I'm in this for Sauron. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> if there's going to be a mystery around Sauron, okay, I'm going to play along. Well, and here's an example. Um, but of- next season, let's let's get it moving. <laughs> Well, and here's an example of, even within the show, a better version of what I'm talking about. So in last episode, Adar comes out, he has the cursed sword, and he says, Waldrake, I need you to do something for me. It's this one line, it barely plants anything in your head, because the next thing we see is Adar fleeing. Yeah. But upon a second rewatcher upon you know kind of like thinking about it you realize oh my god that's when that's when he switched, he switched it off. the yeah. swords you know and um when mount doom erupts it's it's not a twist because we knew we were heading towards there but it is it comes at this like moment that that kind of catches you unawares mm-hmm. and you're like Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and there's little subtle things uh, to indicate the switch too. Like Galadriel wipes off Adar's blood on the rag, and it's like for a sword that drinks blood, right? You know, you're you should you should be thinking like, wait, don't do that. Yeah, I I had seen that. But then there's you know, but then they keep showing it wrapped up, and it's never shown until the end. I know that this show can achieve what I'm talking about, where it's like. We we get an up and down, but I'm, I don't feel like I'm being jerked back and forth. I felt in this episode I was jerked back and forth with the the outcome of the Harfoots, particularly uh, scene to scene. Their fate changes very swiftly, and it's sort of like this isn't exciting. It's just back I, and forth. It's just back and yeah. forth, and without any real progression. I know, yeah, I know the show can do better than that because I've seen them do better than yeah. that. And um, it's frustrating when all of this stuff kind of feels like it's ill-timed. Again, I think a lot of this is due to cutting out a central character uh, and reshoots. I, I yeah. think that's a big part of what's happening. Sucks that a sealed door died. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I wish that was real. I can't oh stand him. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just, like, I... I don't know why he's in the I, story yet. I liked him more the past couple episodes, but yeah, I do wish the show um, focused a little more on a Lindiel right now than a Sealdor. And maybe, and now that he's out of the picture, maybe we will see more Lindiel um, and develop him a little bit more, which is what I'm hoping for. But anyway, I think that kind of brings us up to the end of this episode. <sighs> Again, it wasn't a terrible episode. It just it didn't feel like a penultimate episode, and uh, I've I just have to look back and say, what have we been doing for seven hours? I just wish we got to the pace of this episode and the last one like three episodes ago. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, I'm not sure um, what our recording schedule next week is going to be like. I'm out of town for a conference, um, but we will get it out as soon as possible. Uh, this finale and then I think after that we're going to have one more episode before we take a little bit of a break um, but in that final episode we'll just kind of be recapping the entire season and yeah kind of applying this uh, rubric we've done for each episode but to the whole season and I I have a feeling like unless they really pull it out of nowhere uh, that final episode of this you know <laughs> series uh, for the time being is going to be fairly negative <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, the stranger's got to be Sauron, and they gotta they gotta explain that some of the Mithril myth is actual bullshit. Otherwise, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this first season. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I just refuse to even like think about it until it happens. Like, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm not going to prepare a concession speech if I'm wrong. 
Oh, yeah. uh, This will be like full on Hillary Clinton 2016. I'm just, uh, I'm committing, you know, (laughs) I've made it this far. So um, let's go. Yeah. Uh, Okay. But in the meantime, you can check us out on Twitter at half as well pod. And if you haven't already, tell your friends about the podcast. If you have been enjoying it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half as as Well. Well.